0: You know, I was thinking about today um, being Mother's Day and graduates and seeing the families and thinking about that journey and just the rewarding nature of being a parent. Right. I've seen your children do milestones and as emotional as it is, it's always, you know, it's, it's neat to see them kind of achieve and move on and, and proud of, them. you know, we had. Uh, one of those moments, Eli decided this year he's going to play football, never played any football in his life, never had a moment of football where he's played. I think he played upward flag football when he was five or six, but that's not quite the same thing. And so he, he's been going through practices and workouts and all that, and we had not been able to see him or watch him. And Friday night, they had this little spring game with uh, T.W. Hunter versus Ellis. And we walked out there, and we're trying to find him. We've never seen him in his uniform or anything. We're like, we're trying to find him number 79. So we're looking all over, you know, they all look the same. And we find 79, there was just that moment of of pride that your son has tried something new. And he met this moment, right? But let's be honest. There are also frustrating things about being a parent. Amen? I mean, there's lots of them. We can list lots of them. Can I tell you that in the ages my kids are right now, there is one particular thing that is frustrating and be annoying. None of my kids are in here, so y'all don't tell them I've talked about this, all right? It's this. I want to show you a picture. It's the questions. Like, questions all the time. I saw a study this week that said that stay at home moms, on the average, from breakfast till the afternoon when the father comes on, and other kids come home, will face somewhere around one question every two minutes and 38 seconds. Amen, right? It's there, always. Mom, can I? Dad, I need. What's this? And they're just question after question after question. It's estimated that a mom will have over 10,000 questions to answer in a year from their kids. Now, the most inquisitive are four-year-old girls ask lots and lots of questions. The least are nine-year-old boys, which I have girls on either side of that, and they're, they're maxing out their question limit. And then Luke never asks anything. He just wants to be in his room by himself, all right? And they ask crazy questions, you know, like uh, the, they asked this study, what's the worst question you get, you don't know how to answer it, was why is water wet? I mean, how do you, if you're a scientist and you want to give an explanation, I don't want to hear it, all right? Like, how do you answer that? Where does my shadow come from? Well, it's the angle of the sun based upon your, right? I remember one time when we were living in Ripley and Eli was the only only child we had, and uh we were kind of uh, lounging. It was a lazy Saturday or something. And he calls in the ben Susan's pregnant with Lou. And he just touches mommy's belly. And he says, mommy's going to have a baby. And then he goes over to me and touches me. He goes, how many are you going to have, daddy? <laughs> like, I don't need to know that. <laughs> Eli, that's one of those questions, right? And you wish that as you got older in life, the questions went away. But the truth is the questions just get harder. And the answers more difficult to find. The problems become more severe and the grasping for what would resolve it becomes more difficult. Over the last few weeks, we've been in this series called Too Good to Be True and the idea behind it is that the grace of God is one of those concepts that seems too good to be true, but it is. That there's nothing we can do that can earn the love of our God. There's nothing we can do to earn the salvation. And that he describes every one of us, no matter who we are, where we're from, how good we've been, what our status in life is, how much money we have. That every single one of us outside of Christ is dead. But praise be to God, anyone who accepts the forgiveness of Jesus Christ is alive in him as we've talked over the last few weeks, we've really kind of stressed the importance of grace on saving us from our sins, on taking that debt that we owed and removing it away from us, from separating it from as far as the east is from the west. And That is a vital part of grace. But if grace were to stop just with removing our sins, it would be something less than amazing. Because the power of God's love, the grace of Jesus Christ, is something that impacts every aspect of who we are. And today, I want to look at three questions that haunt the soul of humanity, that grace gives an answer to. And I want to look at it in kind of a strange place. It's not Easter, but we're going to look at the resurrection. Is that okay? Like, I didn't preach on the resurrection at Easter, and so I thought I'd do it on Mother's Day. We're just going to start mixing up holidays like that, all right? we may do a Mother's Day sermon on Father's Day and a Father's Day sermon on Thanksgiving, all right? And so if you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to look at this passage of Scripture together. Then we're going to kind of set it up. And then I want to focus in on a single encounter, just a few words, and what they teach us about what grace would do. So in chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, so on Sunday, Mary Magdalene, we don't know as much about Mary Magdalene as we would like to. We know that she didn't have a great reputation. There's lots of things in Scriptures about her that she was... Um, Definitely not a God-fearing woman before she came to meet and to know Jesus Christ. Mary is one of the ladies that is consistently with Jesus and shows up on Sunday morning when Jesus had been crucified on Friday night. Now, we have to think for a minute and get in the mindset of Mary because we read the story and we know what's going to happen. Right? On the third day, what happened? Jesus Rose, Mary didn't know that. It's hard for us to read it without thinking, it's going to be okay, Mary. It'll be all right. She is crushed. Crushed. You see, Jesus was more than just a good friend to her, He was the one that had given her hope. She had been outcast and not trusted by anybody in society, and Jesus had lifted her out of that and given her hope and a future and a plan. And a place had given her dignity and given her this ability to face the world. And now he's gone. Forever, she thinks. So she comes to the tomb that day. It's an emotional moment. Now, here's something else that's kind of crazy just for this story. We'll talk about this more in a minute. All four Gospels, they, they have different details of the resurrection account, different points of view, different understandings that came from different people. But all four Gospels have Mary Magdalene as the first person to see the resurrected Jesus. Now here's that's why that's significant. And, and I, I want you to understand that this is their day, not our day. But in their day, they considered women to be unreliable Witnesses. Now, I just want you to know, I found a bulletin after the first service. It had two notes on it. And the second one was women are unreliable. That is not what I just said. I won't tell you who that was, but he ran the computer for the first service. Hodges crew. All right. So it just said women are unreliable. That's not what I said. What they thought is that women were unreliable sources. So here's the thing. If you're going to make up this whole story about Jesus coming back from the grave, why in the world would you include that the first person to see him was a woman? Nobody would have believed you. But every one of them has Mary. We'll talk about that in more in a minute. Mary came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, if Mary is thinking this ought to not be a surprise, because many, many times when she would have been around Jesus, Jesus had said, I'm going to rise again, that on the third day I'm coming back. And he said it symbolically at times, but a couple of times he just kind of says it. I'm going to come back. You, You can kill me. I'll come back. And Mary probably was there or heard about it. And so when she sees that the tomb is the stones rolled away, her first thought ought to be. He's alive. He's risen. He did what he said. Is that what she says? No. So she ran. Went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's John, by the way. The one Jesus loved is John. And she said to them, he's risen. He's he's back. No. They've taken the Lord. I don't have a clue where he is. Now, Now, Peter and John, by this moment are the leaders of this ragtag bunch of people that has had Jesus at their center and they're all trying to figure out what to do next but they can't leave anytime soon because they're afraid they'll all get killed. Peter and John hear the story and this is what it says. So Peter went out with the other disciple. Who's the other disciple? John. Who's writing this book? That's important because we're going to see something just kind of funny here in a minute. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together but the other disciple is John outran Peter. You didn't realize they were bragging in the Bible, right? Like he couldn't keep up with me. The old man, I'm just going on past him. This is like me playing softball with some of the young guys around here. Like just y'all just run. I'll be all right. I'll be there in a minute. He outran Peter and he gets to the tomb first. And so the disciples get there and they're first. And then here's what happens. John gets there first. He just loops, stoops in Looks, he sees the cloth lying there, but he's like, I'm not going in. I'm not, I don't know what's happening. I don't want to be accused of anything because here's the thought John's probably having at this moment. If they catch me in the tomb and Jesus' body is gone, you know who they're going to blame for this? Me. John's like, I'm not getting in. I'm not getting involved. It's like walking on a crime scene. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not there. Then Simon Peter came following him and Peter, like Peter does, doesn't care. Runs full into the tomb. He sees the cloth lying there, the face cloth bent on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up. There's a whole theological significance there we're not going to get into today. Folded up. So he gets there. Everything's folded up. Here's the next verse. And the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, then like, okay, Peter's going to go in. I'll go in. This is interesting because it's the first person to say this. He saw and believed. For they had forgotten what the scripture said, that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples, because of this great revelation, John looks at Peter and goes, you know what this means? He's alive. Great. Let's go back to the house. Right? In the first service, uh, Miss Rachel McCorkle said, typical men. I don't know what that means. But just like important things just happen. Let's just go hang out at the house a little bit. Settle down. and it will be all right. But Mary stood there weeping. Outside the tomb. Here's the question that has. We talked about questions earlier. Here's the question that I've wondered. As I've read this. And I've looked at it. And I've thought about it. I've taught at Union on the book of John recently. Why did he appear to her first? I mean you could go down the road. And say he was thinking of the fact. That they were unreliable witnesses. And that that would be evident to the people. That this wasn't a made up story. But I think there's something more central to it than that. You ever thought about that? Wouldn't it have been a little more proactive for him to kind of show up where the disciples are all kind of gathered around and go, hey, what are you all up to? What are you talking about? Hey, I'm back. But he kind of gives this mystery, and in all four gospel, he comes to her first. Here's what I believe, okay? This is something I've come to. This, you may not find this anywhere, and so take that for what it is. I believe he came to Mary first, because at that moment, she was the one most traumatized and distraught by his death. You don't see any disciples going to take care of the body or to check on it that next sunny morning. Mary is weeping. She looks into the tomb. And in the tomb, she's two, two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Mary is not in this moment thinking, what an unbelievable experience. I get to see angels. She's like, what did you do? That's what she asked the next verse. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? You ever had one of those moments as a parent where your child says, why are you upset? And you're like, why am I upset? Like, do you know what you just did? Why, why, why am I upset? Like, it just get, have, I need to see your hands. Have you been there? Okay, like, mommy, why, daddy, why, what, what, why are you so upset about you? That's what I'm upset about. Do you know what you just did? Right. She looks at the guys like, why am I upset? What are you talking about? They've taken my Lord. They took him. I have every reason to be upset. I don't know where he is. Why am I upset? Because he's gone. Because everything I believed in is over. Because my life that I thought had a purpose is done. Why am I upset? That is the most ridiculous question you could ask me right now. Having said this, look, the angels don't even know how to respond. All right. She turns around and Jesus is standing there, but she didn't know it was him. There are a couple of reasons why that. One, Jesus seems to be mysterious because he's a little different than he's been. And honestly, she's not looking for Jesus. I mean, she, you don't go to the graveyard expecting to see somebody sitting on top. That's not what you're looking for, right? I mean, even if you thought, well, you really look like, but it can't be. And secondly, some of this I do believe is that the grief in her life, the disappointment in who she was and what had happened had so impacted her she couldn't see clearly you ever been there that life has just hit you with so much you no longer can even make sense of the stuff you ought to know she didn't know it was jesus jesus said to her woman why are you weeping whom are you seeking Now, here's what a lot of commentators make a big deal about this. I know when you read that, it just sounds like the other angels asking. But here's the truth. Jesus is saying to her, you don't have a good concept of who I am. Yes, you trusted my teaching. Yes, you thought of me as a Messiah. But you had a limited view of the power that I have if you don't expect me to be risen from the grave. Who are you looking for? Are you looking for the human Jesus that could do a few things? Or are you looking for the Messiah, Son of God, who has power over life and death itself? Who are you looking for? I mean, the same could be asked of you in our culture today. What Jesus are you looking for? The gentle teacher that's going to help people have a good life and if things make people mad you just say oh don't worry about that it'll all be worked out in the end are you looking for the creator of the universe who has power over everything we know and has spoken truth into our lives who are you looking for I love this next line it's one of those things that John tells us that just I think it's funny supposing him to be the gardener like those tombs would have been at huge guards, and they would have had, he thought he was the landscape guy. Like, just tell me where you've carried him. Just, just tell me where he is. And I'll take. you, you tell me where he is and I'll take him. Who came and got him? Where did they take him? You let me know that I'll go get him. She's done, right? Like, I'm done with these games. I'm done with all this. She still didn't understand who he is. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. It actually means my teacher. There's this moment when her despair, when her lack of confidence, when everything she has is transformed by the simple calling of her name. And here's the whole point of today. There's three things that I believe grace does for us if we'll allow Christ to work in our lives. And the first thing is this, grace will free us from our doubt. Grace frees you from your doubt. She she didn't believe, right? She didn't even recognize Jesus. Jesus is standing in front of her and she thinks he's the landscape guy. She's doubting that he could come back from the grave. She never believed it at all. And Jesus, with one word, says Mary, and she immediately believes. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever had this, but in my life, there have been moments of doubts that I've had about this whole Christian thing. Now, it's kind of a big deal when you're a preacher and you admit that sometimes. I remember specifically my first year of college, I was sitting in an Old Testament classroom, having an instructor tell me about the Bible. And in the midst of that, for whatever reason, I suddenly began to doubt some things. Now, here's the thing. I was at a Southern Baptist college, Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, having it instructed to me by a guy that I had known his family from the time I was almost born. He was a member of the church that I grew up with. And he's telling me all these great things about the Bible. And for some reason, I started to doubt. It was hard for me for the first time. Life was a little bit hard. That first year of college was not the greatest year of my life. And I remember being in the midst of that and praying, God, you've got to show up. I think I prayed to be saved about 20 times that semester. God, if I'm not saved, Lord, right now, do it for me. I just doubt it. Now, as I got older, it wasn't intellectual doubt. It was just the reality of life. Sitting in a doctor's office, when Susan and I had been married for three years, and we were convinced that God intended for us to have kids of our own, and we're sitting in a doctor's office, and he says to us, I know exactly what the issue is. You have no chance of having children on your own. (laughs) Why, God, what what are you talking about, God? That's not what our plan was. On this Mother's Day, I, I remember sitting with Susan's mom as she wasted away from cancer. Watching her month after month go down. I remember being a part of huge prayer gatherings. We were praying for healing, praying specific scriptures for healing. You're talking about Marilyn Jett who had served the Lord faithfully for many, many years. Whose husband was a great pastor and man of God. Whose son was a pastor and a man of God. Who had all these people surrounding her. This great church is praying massive prayers for her. And not a single day did it seem like she was getting better. Where are you, God? And my guess is that if you've lived more than a couple of years, you've had moments like that of your own. Watching a parent fall through Alzheimer's and the difficult journey that is, losing a child or a loved one unexpectedly and too quickly. Mary's grief is at the level of that. And she is doubting everything about who God is and what Jesus taught. He was just another guy. And in that moment when he says, Mary. It all changed. Look, God never tells us that doubts aren't going to be a part of our lives, but he does tell us that his grace will overcome. Look at what she says. It's a personal term that means (laughs) my faith is renewed. My teacher is real. It's all together secondly not only does it free us from our doubts it also relieves us from loneliness I love one little detail in this story that I think is so interesting right right when the only word that Jesus says to her that makes her immediately recognize who he is is her name I'm talking about Mother's Day there is I don't know if you have this or not but there is a way that my mother says my name that nobody else says my name that way Right now, I'm not talking about when I was young and the Lyle Patrick Larson came out like that's not that's not good. Like, right. Like when I kicked the ball through the window in the house, that wasn't a good like moment. I'm talking about even today when she she doesn't call me Lyle usually, by the way. Now, she will occasionally. But when I was growing up, I had when I played ball, people just call me LP. And so that's what she calls me. So my dad and her call me and there's a way that she says it that I immediately know it's her. You know what I'm talking about? Your spouse is the same way. There's a way that your spouse says your name in good moments that is immediately. There's also a way they say your name in not good moments that's immediately recognizable. But there's a way in those good moments they say your name that's immediately recognizable. When he looks at her and he says, Mary. It is the word that denotes I'm here. I'm with you. Everything's going to be all right. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means my teacher. In those moments when loneliness creeps in and those moments when loneliness is there, grace in the person of Jesus Christ is able to fill us where loneliness has left a void. Here's the last thing, and the third one. I just want you to see, and that is, grace rescues you from meaninglessness. Here's what happens. Here's what happens after she says, "My teacher," he said to her, "Do not cling to me." That you can imagine, <laughs> you can imagine like she's like holding on, right? Like holding on, like I'm not letting you go again. I lost you once. I'm not losing you again. We're not doing this. Let me carry you back to the other disciples. Let me go. He says, "Let go. Let go." I'm not ascended to the Father yet. Listen, there'll be time for us to be together and there'll be ultimately time when we'll never be apart. Don't worry about that. But right now, right now, go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending the father, your father to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced, I have seen the Lord. And he said these things to her. What he says is right now is not the time to cling to me. There will be moments like that right now. You have a job to do. You have a task to do. And your task is to go and. Tell. If you ever wonder the meaning of your existence, I can give it to you in three words. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, go and tell. The whole reason that you've been placed on this earth is to be a witness to who Jesus Christ is and the grace that He has given us. And His grace frees us to have that. Now listen, it is so easy to get caught up in other stuff. Listen, if you're a mom here today, the reason you're a mom is in order to instruct your children in what it means to follow Jesus Christ and to understand the grace that His love has for us. If you're here and you're a dad, your purpose as a dad, I know there are other responsibilities. I know there's lots of things to do and it's easy to get caught up in other stuff. But your task, your mission, your meaning is to instruct them in the way of the lord and the grace of jesus christ and what it means to walk in him my job as the pastor of this church is to continually go and to tell not just to you but in my life what it means to follow jesus christ what it means that his grace has rescued us from the grave what it means that he is alive if you ever wonder what the meaning of your life is it is simply three words go and tell and as long as you are breathing on this earth, that is your mission. That's what don't cling to me means. Listen, you've got work to do, Mary. You, it's not time to just sit around here and enjoy my fellowship. There will be time for that. I'm going to send the Spirit when I go to heaven. When I sin, I'll send the Spirit. He'll comfort you. And then one day we'll all be together in a great big family reunion in the sky. But until that day, our job is to get more people to be a part of that family reunion in the sky. It is to go and tell of the wonders and the might and the love of Jesus Christ and the grace that is here. And whatever your job is in your life, your meaning is to go and tell. Whatever your position is in life, your meaning is to go and tell. Whatever your place is in school, your meaning is to go and tell. There are lots of questions in this world. I get asked by my kids questions all the time. I get asked by church members questions all the time. I get asked by my wife questions all the time. But in life, there are rarely three questions that are more important than three questions that are more important than what Jesus answers for Mary Magdalene. Does my life have meaning? Am I all alone in this world? And is there something worth believing in? And grace answers those three questions with resounding love and mercy from Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.